0: A young perspective on hot button issues around the world this is the hub hello and welcome to the hub on cgtn and guan in beijing the biden administration plans to issue an executive order sometime next week that might restrict u.s investment in china in high-tech sectors according to multiple sources telling us media including bloomberg Artificial intelligence, semiconductors, and quantum computing will be targeted in a bid to curb China's progress in critical technologies, according to these sources. It comes as Australia and the U.S. have just discussed ways to deepen their military alliance in the Indo-Pacific at the 33rd Australia-U.S. ministerial consultations last month. Meanwhile, China has just lifted anti-dumping and countervailing duties on imported Australian barley, a sign of warming relations. So, what to make of all these events? Are we seeing diverging interests between U.S. and Australia? An alliance that has been rock solid, dating back all the way to the World War days? And how seriously will these bans and restrictions, if implemented, impact China's high-tech sectors? To discuss all this, I'm very pleased to be joined today from Wuhan, China by Wang Peng, Research Fellow of the Institute of State Governance at Huazhong University of Science and Technology, from Darwin, Australia, we have Doro Guppi, independent economic and political analyst. And also in Beijing, China, we have Edgar Paris, global technology and finance keynote speaker and author. Welcome, gentlemen, to The Hub on CGTN. Uh, first of all, Edgar, let me turn to you. According to Washington and U.S. media, the goal of this executive order, if implemented and announced, would be to, quote-unquote, prevent U.S. capital and expertise from accelerating the development of technologies that would support China's military modernization and threaten U.S. national security. Do you think this exact order, uh, this is what it is all about?
1: Indeed, when you think about the scope of the order, of course, we talked initially about three basic technologies, artificial intelligence, semiconductors, and quantum computing. As you said, the goal eventually is to suppress some activity from companies to support the military in China. So I wouldn't be surprised if, moving forward, the scope of these technologies will increase to any other type of new technology that potentially can also support the military, such as neuromorphic computing, biotech, and other technologies that could potentially be
0: subscribed in the future. Professor Wang Peng, what do you make of this? Uh, is this all about national security?
2: Yes, I think, I think s- that's the that logic of security has overwhelmed the logic of economics. But we know that in the U.S., people say the American business is business. Business is business. So what will the reaction make from the American business circle? Let's wait and
3: see, I think. Uh, Dara, what do you think? The United States is really shooting itself in the foot and we're seeing industry going to push back because these bans delay development not just in the security sector, but across the broad development of artificial intelligence and other areas that are necessary for the development of the digital economy worldwide.
0: All right, Edgar, uh, let's go to s- some specifics. According to sources, this executive order on the, the, you know, banning US investments in Chinese high-tech sectors is to target, quote-unquote, U.S. private equity, venture capital, and joint venture investments in China in, of course, semiconductors, quantum computing, and artificial intelligence. Most investments captured by the order will require that the government of the U.S., of course, be notified about these investments. Some transactions will be prohibited, according to these sources. So it looks like that this might not be a cross-the-board ban, but rather these bans will be reviewed on a case-by-case, even sector-by-sector basis. Is that your sense, too? Indeed. As I said, the
1: scope is very limited to three initial industries. However, the goal eventually is to think about the potential support of these companies to the military apparatus here in China. So this extent of industries might change. Now, to be honest with you, when you think about implementation of executive orders, one thing is the letter of the order, and another thing is going to be the implementation. This executive order, it's going to go through a period of comment which might change some of the details of the implementation. Some of these not in transaction will be not- notified to the government, meaning that some of them will be approved, some of them might not be approved. So overall, I see in China a thriving AI sector, and I don't expect that to be
0: significantly changed by the implementation of this executive order. All right, Professor Wang Peng, what do you think? How do you see this ban, if announced, uh, being implemented by the White House?
2: This implement will certainly increase uh, the costs of the, both Chinese companies and the U.S. companies, I mean, their business partners. But I think uh, for the long run, will this uh, exact order really uh, to stop or to to make uh, make the true obstacle for China's uh, economic and technology uh, 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 development? I think that's questionable.
0: Why are you still optimistic that the Chinese high tech sector can develop independent of these White House restrictions? Because for the past uh, 70
2: years, it is not new. I mean, all things like this constraints, not only from the U.S., but also from, for some decades, yeah, from Soviet Union and from others. But the Chinese uh, people, Chinese scientists, technology workers, they can find their own way. And so we, we have changed a lot. And <laughs> the global business order has been changed.
0: All right, um, we'll talk about that later. Doro, a former U.S. Commerce Department official, said this, and I quote, This executive order, if implemented, will fill the gap in their current regime. Uh, we have prohibitions on exporting the technology, uh, we have restrictions on inbound investment, and now this will help to plug that gap on funding the know-how and give the U.S. government visibility into these capital
3: flow. Is this outright protectionism? Of course, it's outright protectionism, but it's more than that. America realizes that China is well ahead in a whole range of computing fields, starting with AI and the rest of quantum computer development. So what the objective is, is not just to protect American industry, but to prevent China's future development. And we have to take that into account when we're assessing these executive decisions. The idea that they apply just in a limited area at the moment is not correct they can be easily expanded to include new areas as china's advances continue
0: right recently us treasury secretary Janet Yellen who is considered a dovish figure within the biden administration came to beijing and discussed uh, potentially discussed biden's uh, you know pending executive order with the chinese side uh, during his visit to beijing uh, yellen described the restrictions as quote unquote highly targeted and clearly directed narrowly at a few sectors where we have specific national security concerns. Do you buy that? I think so. If you look at the scope of the restrictions, they are definitely
1: very, very focused. That being said, as I said, this can be changed in the future because obviously technology is evolving so fast. Probably two, three years ago, we didn't think about artificial intelligence as the field that is really driving the technology transformation in the world. However, we now know that it's a very important field. Equally, in five years, we'll talk about the development of quantum computers, which is a field indeed that China and the US are competing head to head. So there are gonna be potentially new fields in the future that might be included in potentially addendums to this executive order.
0: Wang Peng, what do you think when Janet Yellen told policymakers and senior officials in Beijing uh, what would have been their reactions towards this piece of restriction?
2: Yes, I have noticed Yellen's comments on the exact order. For me, I think her words sound a little bit over optimistic. I think uh, that exact order, yes, really matters and it is truly harmful. Uh, some may say, hey, it's just an uh, exact order rather than law passed by the Congress. Yes. And uh, so it can only stay with Biden administration. And if Biden lose his power in the next year, US presidential election 2024, that order will be repealed, maybe repealed by the Republican successor. Yes, I agree. But in my view, it should be noticed that first, that exact order will undoubtedly enhance the currently severe political trend, negative legal system. And deteriorating public opinion environment of U.S.-China relations in nearly every aspect. And secondly, given a new president in the next year, so who? According to the latest poll, we know that uh, is that Mr. Trump? Trump is Trump? polling so very well. As we speak. Yes. So I think that will be strange. So that's why I hold a generally pessimistic attitude toward Yellen's words.
0: Yeah, let's talk broadly about America's strategy towards China. And in the past year or so, uh, there has been this concept uh, propagated by Washington of de-risking from China and Chinese assets and uh, China-related economic activities. What do you think uh, of this de-risking strategy, Edgar? Who do you think is driving this strategy? We know that there's such a thing as the deep state in Washington. Biden expressed goodwill when they first uh, seeked you know, the seat of the Oval Office during the campaigns. He said he will improve relations with Beijing, but uh, he couldn't, obviously.
1: Well, when you think about the relationship between the U.S. and China, we need to think that the U.S. at the moment is still the world's power, economic and financial and military power in the world. So from that point, the U.S. will want to maintain that. That being said, China is growing fast. China is definitely the second economy, and $18 trillion economy out there that is really chasing you through those steps. So from that standpoint, I think the American public is a little nervous. So when you think of all these different measures, we have to look at the electoral calendar. We talked about the elections coming next year. So many of the candidates and also the current administration will want to look tough as elections will be coming. So that is going to drive some of the initial intentions of these executive orders, which, as mentioned before, it's not a law. It's an executive order that can be revocated later on by uh, the future administration for example so if you think about something more permanent we will talk about a law but for that you need to get agreement between both democrats and republicans and that's a difficult thing to achieve in an electoral
0: year adara yeah, what do you think of washington's de-risking strategy towards china
3: The de-risking strategy is an extension of its anti-China strategy. And as we move into the election year, the anti-China strategy wins votes. Biden knows this. Trump certainly knows it. And we've got a population that has been subjected to a sentiment that's been built up by the media, by Trump and the military hawks for five years plus. So changes are going to be very slow. Yes, this is an executive order. That means it can be changed, it can be increased, it can become more exaggerated at the whim of the president without the need for legislative agreement. So I would suspect we're going to see an increase in anti-China sentiment going into the next election period.
0: this has been the case uh, in 2012 in 2016 and 2020 as far back as we remember in the past decade it's always been like this during a heated campaign season candidates picked on russia they picked on china and they picked on america's uh, rivals perceived or real Uh, professor wang peng let me turn to you talking about this potential ban and this impact on china of course we know that china's ai sector is targeted Uh, we have a problem with chips what we call the bottleneck technologies that Beijing is uh, trying very hard to improve upon. Where does all this come into play when it comes to China's independent uh, high-tech sector? What potential impact do you think it will have? And you earlier said that regardless of these impacts, the Chinese businesses and uh, the tech sector will not just survive, but thrive.
2: Just now, we have talked about de-risking and for China, for your question, I think we may talk about another term that's de-dependent, that's for the last uh, many decades, yes, China has joined to the global business and the global technology network that established and maintained by the US. And we have grown up, but now the US say, hey, you are so strong that I feel threatened from you, that I just want you to make some trousers, make t-shirts for us. Don't touch the high technology. However, China will not forever do that thing. So China's uh, development of the technology and the economy will not be stopped by that. So in this phase of history, we say China have to make its decision to decrease its dependence on the outside technology or supply or we call it uh, communication or any other words. Uh, anyway, the China must uh, make the true decision that to make big investment and uh, to promote mm-hmm. its own system of the technological development and its industrialization. And this decision is very hard to make because everyone, we have our the reason of uh, softness. Yeah, we, we call it Shu Chu. Yes, <laughs> certainly people rely on that. So in this phase, perhaps some forces or some attack from outside may help China, help Chinese decision makers, help Chinese uh, the business factors and the, the scientists to make this hard, this tough decision, and choose another course.
0: Yeah, if uh, the China-U.S. trade war starting in 2017-2018 has taught us anything, that is, China will retaliate. Edgar, what kind of retaliation do you expect from China if the White House announces such technological bans again?
1: Well, there might be some restrictions in the sales of some American companies, as it was the case last year with Micron. However, I think the focus for China should be actually in support of the development of these technologies in-house, too. Remember it was the Sputnik launch of the satellite the Soviet Union satellite in the 50s that really surpassed I mean the pro- the probabilistic of the development in technology in the US in the 50s, 60s and 70s. That's what China is experiencing today. When you have these restrictions, now you realize that these technologies are really important. These technologies are really driving economic development. So AI, quantum computing, semiconductors, those technologies eventually will be surpassed in China as well. China will be find a way to go to these restrictions and eventually to create an in-house to build a supply chain locally that will be the driver of the development of the technology and later of the economy of the country
0: yeah Darrell, let me turn to you in an interview with the new york times john newfer president of the semiconductor industry association of america stated the following he said china is the world's largest market for semiconductors and our companies simply need to do business there to continue to grow innovate and stay ahead of global competitors So my question is, uh, is the U.S. shooting itself in the foot? Of course, obviously, you answered that question, yes. Uh, But do you expect a pushback from America's own big tech companies and AI companies and chips companies? Some of them, of course, are funded by the U.S. government. They might be less inclined to criticize Washington, but others, they really depend on the Chinese market
3: they very much depend not just on the Chinese market, but a global market. One of the dangers that we're going, they're facing at the moment is that we have this split in technology so that solutions that apply in China will not be able to apply in the American situation. So we lose half of our markets in that sense. The Americans are certainly concerned with this in terms of their production. That's not necessarily to say the government's concerned. So yes, I do see industry pushback to be able to expand those markets, to be able to provide software systems, AI solutions that are globally acceptable, developed on global standards. And of course, the more that we cut off this sharing that characterized, let's call it globalization pre-COVID, the greater the pressure is on China to de-risk by developing its own solutions to these problems. It's not going to stop That's the important thing to recognize. Just because the U.S. are taking certain action, it will not stop the march towards development that China is undertaking, that America is undertaking. It is more efficient if they work together rather than be separated artificially by trade sanctions and political decisions.
0: Yeah, of course, we have seen this tit for tat uh, for the past five, six years. Uh, Professor Wang Peng, according to Bloomberg, U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo plans to visit China later this month. If the executive order is signed as expected next week, what good will this visit bring? I mean, what will be the expected outcome? Is uh, Raimondo still gonna visit China or will Beijing still receive her?
2: I think whether Beijing will receive her, I I cannot make that decision. (laughs) But I must say say that uh, when, if that executive order is signed as expected and her visit to China, I think the benefits for both China and U.S. and U.S.-China bilateral ties will be very limited. As I remember, the Professor Yen Chutong from Tsinghua University has once generated a theory called the "superficial friendship theory" to describe uh, and explain why the fluctuation uh, between China-U.S. superficial
0: friendship and... theory.
2: Yes, superficial what does that mean? friendship. The- yes, superficial friendship. That means. China and the US during the past four decades. Yes, actually, we have many differences in many aspects, the political ideology, institution, and, and so on. But for many considerations, sometimes we pretend to be friends, And but all these words, all these beautifully decorated words will raise the expectation of others. And then, for example, I, I say we, we are very good friends, yes, you have better, higher expectation for my next conduct. However, for those uh, disputes or that construct, such as Taiwan Strait and uh, South China Sea and so on, for all these real problems that I cannot meet all your requirements, so you may agree with me. And that's the same for me. So when we use this theory to observe this, this thing, that's the sign of the exact order that shows we have true problem. However, we, we cannot solve this problem immediately, not only for this one, but for the last several months, we have witnessed many American diplomats, high-ranking officials. They come to China. They have talked with the counterpart in China. And uh, some, they say, talk, talk with the news, uh, media, Express, say, yeah, we have very good talk. We have sincerely and honestly, but The true problem still has not been changed or solved. They they
0: don't give much interviews. They don't give many interviews. We tried uh, very hard on uh, getting uh, Secretary of State, former Secretary of State John Kerry, but we couldn't, obviously. Um, uh, You know, Dara, let me turn to you. This is really your forte. China-Australia relations. There are signs there will be warming in relations between Beijing and Canberra. Uh, China lifted tariffs on Australian barley imports just last Friday. And here's how the Australian side responded. I want you to listen to that first.
1: This is the right outcome. The right outcome for Australian producers and the right outcome for Chinese consumers.
2: I welcome the uh, development uh, this afternoon uh, that our barley growers and our exporters um, uh, um, will now be able to uh, re-enter tariff-free the Chinese market. Uh, it's another very positive step in the full resumption of normal trade uh, between Australia and China.
0: So, Mr. Gupi, to what extent is the trade disputes between China and Australia winding down,
3: uh, or is this just a flash in the pan? Don't you just love that diplomatic language? Mm-hmm. It's such a contrast to what we had to put up with for the last four or five years. So it means that we're moving towards an end of this dispute, but it's not going to be the same as it was before the dispute started. The policy on both sides is to to diversify supply options. So that's going to happen. But this bent towards diplomacy with Minister Wong and Minister Farrell means we're less likely to see a repeat of those aggravating circumstances that led to this frosty environment. However, that being said, this can still be undermined by ill-considered action around defense and foreign policy. It's a step in the right direction, but it's not yet a conclusion.
0: Of course, we still have Chinese restrictions on exports of of Australian beef, cotton, and seafood. Uh, What do you think would it take to normalize trade relations between these two countries?
3: Well, I think we have to recognize that some of these restrictions are for different purposes. Now with beef, for instance, Some of the suppliers who have been sanctioned have not complied with China customs import regulations around the labeling of the product. That's an administrative issue. And certainly diplomacy allows those administrative issues to be addressed more easily. In other areas, it will be a continuation of diplomacy and the quiet discussions that will normalize relations. That's what characterizes the important change in the relationship between Australia and China at the moment. Right, Professor Pong,
0: uh, whether Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese will visit China in 2023 remains uncertain, but the odds uh, look favorable. Uh, for example, Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong has confirmed that Canberra, quote unquote, would look to make sure that a visit can occur. Uh, what do both sides seek to achieve there, and uh, what factors might derail a visit?
2: Uh, the most fundamental goal that both China and Australia, in my view, should seek to achieve that is probably to explore, build, practice, and maintain a long-term mechanism which can separate mutual beneficial bilateral ties, uh, including the trade, the uh, mutual investment, and so on. Uh, separate this from the China, uh, Australia, the disputes in political ideology, Political institution and their attitude toward some uh, key issues such as human rights and so so on. This first separate this, and secondly, which I mean, this mechanism it has to separate or immune the China Australia bilateral ties from the uh, intervention or the control, yeah, the the shadow from the third party. I think this is the most critically important thing for China and uh, Australia
0: for their possible visit. Doro, how do you think the Biden administration might react to a notable improvement of relations between China and Australia?
3: The Biden administration and its military agents want Australia as a garrison base for any future action that they decide to take against China. The U.S. is the most significant agency of foreign influence on the formulation of Australian government policy, particularly in the military and security areas. And history has shown that the U.S. will do what it believes is necessary to keep Australia in step with U.S. foreign policy. Are they happy with the way Australia-China relationship is developing at the moment? They're not too concerned because an improvement is marginal, but they will become very concerned if it's seen that there's an impact on the US perception of what should apply in a military and security area. Trade is a safe area at this point in time.
0: Edgar, how do you look at the three-way dynamics between China, Australia, and America? Uh, China has long been Australia's major destination of export. Uh, Think about uh, mineral resources, iron ore, back in the day. Uh, and also the destination for Australian beef and uh, wines. Uh, but uh, the Australians and Americans, they're uh, you know, staunch allies. Uh, their soldiers fought and died together uh, ever since what, the, the Second World War. Uh, what do you make of the new trends in China-Australia-U.S. Uh, relations?
1: When you think about the executive order coming up, for example, you can think that initially it's usually going to stay in the States. But you can see that other countries, including Australia, will eventually might follow these instructions also of members of the administration to follow up on these purposes. Obviously, we talk about barley, we talk about wine. I don't think the U.S. will have any inclination, positive or negative inclination against or for that. But however, if we talk about technologies such as AI or quantum computing, obviously the U.S. will want to make sure that there are no loopholes in terms of the executive administration orders. And that's something that eventually will require them to talk to their partners, including the UK, including Australia. So if there's any potential of companies in these countries also exporting or potentially doing business in China, in these areas,
0: I'm sure also the U.S. will be interested in talking to them. All right, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for coming on our program, The Hub on CGTN. Uh, great discussion. Uh, we learned a lot. Thank you very much. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of The Hub. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Bye for now. We'll